disappear inwards. At least that's not what's supposed to be happening. It might be in some cases, but that's that's certainly not the point. That's not what we're cultivating. But rather we pay attention inwards. We gently close our eyes and listen and feel inwards. Because, again, this is an invitation to engage in a shared contemplation, a shared inquiry. The Buddha talked about the second factor of the seven factors of enlightenment, Dhamma Vichaya, investigation of reality. Sati is the first factor of the seven factors of enlightenment, and then Dhamma Vichaya, investigation. And we're not doing the investigation that involves merely our conceptual faculties, we use our thinking. We use thinking to give direction to our investigation, but ultimately what we're moving towards is a feeling investigation. When the teacher talks about uh, impermanence or instability or uncertainty uh, and the encouragement to contemplate uh, these things, or or as we've just been chanting now, the Kama Chakravartana Sutra, the turning of the wheel of the law, the, the Buddha was teaching about the actuality of suffering, of limitation, of frustration, sorrow, limitation, pain, grief and despair that all human beings know directly from themselves. And the Buddha is not just wanting us to have ideas and analysis of these concepts, but inviting us to take our investigations deeper onto a more subtle level. The level where an actual clinging takes place, where the actual uh, misperception, uh, the unfortunate uh, programming of our thinking is taking place, which causes us to misperceive reality. If we didn't misperceive reality, we wouldn't be suffering live in this world as the Buddha and all the realized beings did and do completely free from suffering but that's not our reality that's not the problem with what's going on in the world that's the, the problem is caused by the way we relate to the world by the way we see the world once again it's the misperceptions that is the cause and this is not something that's maybe taking place on a conceptual level and so this investigation, the shared contemplation that we're engaged in here, there's a particular benefit in this. The Buddha talked about Dhamma-sarana and Dhamma-sakacha, two ways of attending to Dhamma. We can engage in conversations about Dhamma, questions and answers, and that's very beneficial. But also we can sit and listen to somebody else guide us together in the contemplation. This evening it falls for me to be guiding this shared contemplation, but I did want to contribute these considerations on what we're actually engaged in here, because it happens not really that people come to a place like this 
they don't know how to disengage from the discriminative thinking, the agreeing and disagreeing, picking and choosing. They think if they set aside uh, their agreeing and disagreeing that somehow they're abdicating or colluding with. But that's not, doesn't have to be that way. Listen to a Dhamma talk. As I did chakra, it's just like pressing a button on the recorder. Just record it. The tape recorder is not agreeing or disagreeing, or the MP3 recorder is not agreeing or disagreeing. Our minds don't have to be agreeing or disagreeing with what's being said. We're simply attending. The whole body mind is attending to what is being offered, receiving it. And then later on, if it's relevant, in some situation where it's particularly pertinent, in this case, like contemplation of four level truths, oh, it comes up. Because we were really there for it. We were really there for it when the teacher was offering a reflection on these teachings. So it's not abdication, it's not collusion to set aside our agreeing and disagreeing. That we can do later. But when we're listening to a Dharma talk, it can really enhance the benefit if we just temporarily set aside our discriminative faculties and attend and receive, being in receiving mode. Receiving mode is not agreeing or disagreeing. Like a mirror receives whatever is put in front of it and reflects it back. A mirror doesn't mind at all what passes in front of it. It just reflects it. Our mind doesn't have to collude or agree with what's being said or disagree with what's being said. And that doesn't mean to say that that's going to come easily. You know, we, most of us have been programmed, been taught to, to find our identity, our sense of security uh, in our discriminative intellect. Yeah. That's the, what we get taught many hours a day at school. Yeah. The more often we can show off and know more than the other people in the class, the, the, the more praise we get, the, the better we feel. And, and that's got a limited value. Uh, it's got some value, but it's also actually extremely uh, dangerous when we really find our soul sense of identity in, in that aspect of our being. Because often what's really cool from life is, is the ability to trust in true principle, to trust in Dharma, to trust in actuality. When there's apparent chaos swirling around us, we acknowledge it really looks like this. It really looks like the whole thing is falling apart. But if we've trained ourselves properly, we trust, even though we can't see it, we're able to trust that there is real reality within the chaos, at the same time as the chaos. Maybe there are times when we're caught up in the chaos. That's all we can perceive. But if in our hearts we silently, but really importantly, are able to trust in real reality, like, for instance, the truth of impermanence. Why was the Buddha always going on about impermanence? Why was he always teaching about uncertainty? 
because it's profoundly important. If we don't have that, if we haven't got that message, then often the chaos looks permanent. It looks like it's always going to be that way. It feels like it's always going to be that way. We don't have the capacity to trust that this too will change. And without that, we can absorb into the apparent reality and become a chaos, and that is a disaster. That's how, that's how hell gets created. We create the apparition of eternal hell by clinging to the chaos. Likewise, we can create the apparition of eternal heaven by clinging to happiness. Get completely fooled and think that this is going to last forever. Well, the Buddha underlined all of that and said, don't believe it. Don't disbelieve it. Cultivate a trusting disposition with regards to the basic laws of reality, like, for instance, or the truth of dukkha, the truth of limitation, of frustration, of suffering, and we've just been chanting tonight. This, this Dhammachakra Sutta. Clinging to experiences despite what it feels like, despite what it looks like, despite what everybody else is doing. The actuality is if we cling, we spoil it, we kill it, and we damage it. Even really wholesome aspirations like compassionate aspirations to generate benefit for others. If we cling to it, we make a self out of it. I am compassionately involved in helping something. We spoil it. We create a sense of deluded ego, deluded personality. And then if we don't get what we want, and those people that we hope are going to be free from suffering, keep doing what we're doing that perpetuates the suffering and we get pulled into the drama and fall into despair and suffer from compassion fatigue for instance but that's not really ultimate it might look like it, it might feel like it but it's actually something we're doing, why? because we haven't really been present for the reality we haven't been investigating the actuality We've just been, we've just allowed our attention to fall short of reality and assume that the way things appear to be is often. But that, again, is something we're doing. And it's what most people are doing. And so it's easy for us to fall into that habit. But fortunately, we have each other's company and we have the teachings from those beings who know what we're talking about to encourage us to question. And so that's, again, listening to a Dharma talk. Yeah. It's really an encouragement to learn to ask our own questions at the right time in the right way, mm-hmm. with the right motivation. Our own real heart questions. This is Dhamma Vichaya. This is investigation of reality. Yeah. We could ask the wrong questions. We could ask them the wrong time. We could ask them in the wrong way. We could ask with the wrong motivation. Mm-hmm. The right question, the right time, the right man, and the right motivation. There's, there's a point to this training. So, as I was saying, this, this mode of listening to Dhamma talks is, is, for many people in this culture anyway, new, and it doesn't necessarily come naturally. 
you know, like sitting cross-legged for an hour, still upright, doesn't come naturally. And we can, if we force ourselves, hurt ourselves. So we hopefully learn to do it carefully, skillfully. Likewise, with this listening to Dhamma talk, setting aside our discriminative intelligence for the sake of engaging in this feeling investigation. It's something we learn to do. And not everybody feels comfortable at all, because again, it's the same way we've been conditioned and programmed and our education early life. Isn't it? So it's no hurry, it's not like everybody's got to close their eyes and try and perform this kind of investigation. But this is the direction to move towards. So on this occasion, again, Saturday night, Chani, the Dhamma Chakra, Watana Sutta together, the Buddha's analysis of the, that experience that we're all familiar with, the feeling of limitation of dukkha, limited being, obstructed being, and we call it suffering, we call it frustration, sorrow, limitation, pain, grief, and despair, all the variations on that. And if we are skillful in our investigation with this contemplation of four level truths, we are alert to the risks of always, for instance, always paying attention to suffering. sure that we're not assuming that this Buddha's encouragement to contemplate suffering means that that's what we're supposed to be doing the whole time. And remember these companions, the Buddha's companions, the five spiritual companions on this journey that he gave these teachings to were addicts. They were profoundly prepared on all sorts of levels, tremendous strength of patient endurance, commitment, self-respect, steadiness of attention. So, if we approach these teachings with this preparedness, we can become compulsive and always contemplating suffering. And it's sometimes the case, particularly in our tradition, Theravada tradition, uh, Four Noble Truths, if we're not careful, we forget how much the Buddha encouraged us to cultivate those wholesome, supportive conditions. Like all the ten parami, cultivating generosity integrity and uh, loving kindness and mm. honesty and equanimity patience these, these, these virtues are like elements if you like, elements of a path of, of transformation if, if they're missing yeah. and maybe you know, investigations of suffering just mean we get pulled into suffering we, 
become even more confused, more depressed, more upset, more disoriented, and that can happen. So we want to be careful that when we hear these teachings, the Four Noble Truths, the foundation of all Buddhist, all genuine traditional Buddhist teachings of all schools are founded on these, that doesn't mean to say that that's what we're supposed to, the only thing we're supposed to be thinking about. We can become so habituated to Buddhist talk about suffering, then when we come across it, we get lost in it. Or even when we come across, we have experiences of real contentment. Give ourselves these spiritual exercises and they work. You take the Buddhist medicine and it actually works. We, we can find ourselves feeling wonderfully peaceful. But we can assume, if we're not careful, that something about that is not real. You know, we can, for instance, we can we can be so obsessed with suffering that we we don't even allow ourselves to feel contented. And even when peacefulness and contentment arises, we start questioning and doubting. Questioning and doubting can be constructive or it can be compulsive. Yes, we're invited to question and dumb investigation of reality. But also, sometimes what we need is just to rest in well-being, to rejuvenate, to allow our nervous system to refresh and be strengthened. Mm-hmm. Even in relative mm-hmm. transitory, passing state of relative calm, it can be tremendously important and worth developing. But as I'm saying, if we're not careful, we can have an uninspected assumption that means we don't even allow ourselves to enjoy contentment. We doubt it, we question it in a compulsive way. So these uninspected assumptions, well, mindfulness is the first of the seven factors of awakening. Mindfulness is required for everything, whatever's going on. Mm. And this experience of genuine contentment, yeah. mindfulness is alert, is watchful. So that if there's any assumption that comes in and spoils it by doubting it, with effort. Now, it's, it's worth noting this about you know, assumptions, the assumptions that we have. Hidden assumptions, uninspected assumptions, unexamined assumptions, they get in the way regularly. And, but if we're alert to them, then we can 
be there for them when they arise, and that's when letting go can happen. Many people have had to endure chaos and confusion and suffering for so long, and often they, in varying degrees, push it into unawareness, and so they don't even know the depths and the complexity of their suffering. So, along the Buddhist path of practice, they think, oh, Buddha, this is great, it's a religion about suffering, I've got plenty of that. But there could be this unexpected assumption that I'm always going to suffer. It can be quite subtle, not just gross, neurotic self-views, but subtly held perceptions of I am damaged goods. There's something inherently wrong with me. Mm. And it's really, really quite possible that these thoughts got lodged in there even before cognitive faculties were properly developed. Mm. In the nervous system, in the body, we don't even necessarily think that we feel I'm damaged goods, there's something wrong with me. That's an assumption, and it can be a powerfully damaging, disruptive, unfortunate assumption. But if we're alert to it, the mind gets a little peaceful, and this unexpected assumption bubbles up and produces compulsive, doubting, questioning ourselves. I don't deserve to be happy because I'm inherently a sinner or I'm inherently damaged or I'm inherently flawed or I fail at everything I do. Mm-hmm. We're there for it. Mm-hmm. We don't disbelieve it. We don't quickly ram it down and try to get rid of it. But we don't habitually, compulsively believe in it. We question it quietly, gently, in a skillful way that doesn't disrupt, hopefully doesn't disrupt the contentment. There can be contentment and calm and investigation at the same time. It doesn't have to be, but it can be. If it's called for, if it's not called for, then you can enjoy the calm and the still. For those who have an aptitude for such such practices, be very helpful. But just because we feel drawn to question something, it doesn't have to be compulsive. How do we know, here's the question, how do we know, is my questioning compulsive and undermining of the heart's deep longing for real security and ease? Or is it contributing in a creative, meaningful way to letting go. Is it compulsive or is it creative? How do we know? Well, one way of investigating that and experimenting with that is to, in a feeling way again, carefully ask ourselves, can I say no to this impulse? It's like if you feel this somebody you need give them reflection nobody else is doing anything it's my place I'm, I'm going to tell this person this is not okay I'm not going to put up their behaviour anymore so well is that skillful or is that unskillful is that compulsive or is that constructive does that serve 
my neurosis, my habits of clinging, or does it serve the ego and freedom? Well, I don't know. Well, that's the place to start. That's just being true, which is always important. But then on top of that, say, well, can I choose to not say anything to this person? Can I choose to not tell this person what I want to tell them? Well, if you feel like you can't and you feel driven, well, then that's a very good reason to not say anything. You know, that sounds like compulsive. Mm-hmm. But if you know you can choose to not act or not speak or, on a more subtle level, not follow a particular thought or feeling or impulse, then we're in a position where we can perhaps choose to follow it. And this is, again, of course, this is all parana, this is all training. This is not something that we're going to acquire by reading information in a book, but by studying inwardly, the whole body, mind. Mm-hmm. These assumptions that we have about reality, mm-hmm. to how to question them, inspect them, investigate them, to the point where everything go happens. All assumptions, all blind assumptions, obstruct reality. You know, like there's something wrong with me. Or the opposite, if you have a serious inflation in the sense of self-importance and think that you're so gifted that the, the world is blessed to have your presence and that's another assumption that's definitely worth checking out you know, before you start publishing your books and sending out treats and creating websites all assumptions are up for question and Learning how to question, learning how to tell the difference between compulsive and constructive investigation is important. And that this questioning of assumptions, particularly referring there to the sense of being able to appreciate contentment when it arises, It's something that we keep coming back to. Mm. Maybe it occurs to us at the beginning of practice and we come across this sense of not knowing how to relax deeply, how to be deeply at ease. And when we start finding there's these held views that there's something wrong with us or something wrong with reality or something threatening about to happen. And often, as we're saying, it's it's not obvious what the cause is, but we don't have to dig in and find all the causes. We can do our feeling investigation and let go of the sensations and resolve it on that level. And maybe we think, well, that's it. We've resolved that. We've done that. But then 10 years later, come back again. And then you say to come back again. So to prepare ourselves for this, the, the idea that I finished with something is just that. It's an idea. And as Ajahn Chah pointed out, that if you've really finished with something, you're not going to have the idea I finished with it. 
And so long as we still have ideas, oh, well, I finished with that. Then, well, maybe just let's keep our hearts and minds open. And hopefully what we discover is contemplation of how to appreciate contentment. We find that it, it grows naturally. The more we're skillfully able to question our assumptions that obstruct reality, the more we are able in our questioning of all that obstructs reality, the more we find we're able to really enjoy the benefits of practice. We don't have to keep compulsively questioning and doubting. In fact, what emerges is the opposite. Trust. Sometimes people approach this practice thinking that faith, trust, that's for beginners. What I want is conviction, certainty. Well, actually, wanting certainty is for beginners. As we progress more practice, as we open up more, we learn how to receive more. We learn how to skillfully question more the assumptions we have about all our problems and all our faults and all our obstructions. And we see for ourselves the benefit of letting go, the falling away. What's there in its place is the awareness, the vivid awareness that I don't know. But I don't have to know. To the degree we can be present in the moment with unobstructed awareness, then we can live with conscious relationship with whatever's happening in the moment. And if our relationship with whatever's happening in the moment is conscious, then it's going to be Responsible and it's going to be sensitive. There's a much better chance of wisdom and compassion to manifest. Not just the idea of wisdom and compassion, but wisdom and compassion to be what guides us in our actions of body, speech, and mind. Thank you very much for receiving your attention. Mm-hmm. The man of all